fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, then talk about hunting the mammoth with my friend Caitlin. How are you, Caitlin? (laughs) It's not weird. We have gender roles, didn't you know? I'm. I was innately born to throw spears at large mammals. Hmm. Uh, before we go on with the episode, we would uh, like better recording equipment. So please, if you can spare a few bucks, donate to Patreon.com/ImperialNews. And now that that's over with, the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy! I'm a weirdo. We'll start with February 13th. We're going to finish off the week that that we didn't finish the last time. That's okay. And Ezra is obsessing over a 90-second clip from an Australia TV show called The Today Show. The premise of this 90-second clip is that a woman in Australia made a Facebook post saying that she doesn't go to bed until all the housework is done and then wakes up at 4.30 a.m. to make her husband breakfast mm. and coffee, including, I think she said she lays out his uh, clothes and folds them for him as well. The hosts of the Today Show then proceed to ridicule this woman. Before we get into the content of the clip itself and Ezra's reaction to it, Ezra is going to engage in some light media criticism. Because why not, right? I'll play the clip for you in a second. There's a video clip. But whenever you read a story that says, the internet says, or people online are mad, you know you're entering a meadow of BS. Because that's not journalism. That's not news. I mean, I know this is a light, empty daytime talk show. But still, whenever a journalist says, people online say, that's just code for I say this, but I don't quite have the courage to say it in my own name, and I don't really have any authoritative basis for it. So I'll just say, everyone's talking. It's such a lazy trick. You can literally find anyone saying something or anything online. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube comments. People online are saying this. Yeah, and now you're saying it because you want to say it. Just admit it. Because you could have literally picked anything online if that's your own standard. But back to the tweet. It's very interesting how Ezra critiques his own work. I know. I mean, like this is this is basically what he does all the all time, time. Yeah. right? I mean, especially in terms of him getting like, uh, what are they called, the streeters, or like other. He talks about how normal Canadians think a certain way, so he's always appealing to some sort of like consensus that is out there, which is exactly what I think tweets like that are trying to do. It's like yeah. people are going after this person, and we're going to talk about those tweets, and like. Part of me actually thinks that there's something to what he's saying, like other than like, of course, he's being a hypocrite, right? But there's something to the idea that like all these kind of like, I don't know, I was going to like call out BuzzFeed for this, but like other sort of like pop based kind of websites that are like, this famous person said this, and then people on Twitter got mad at them. And then here's the... <laughs> they started a controversy. Yeah, and yeah it's exactly. like, I never heard about this controversy till now. Yeah. <laughs> For context, we're going to play the entire clip that Ezra is responding to from this Today Show thing. And I want to give a warning because, and and we'll get to it, some of the stuff that some of the people on the show itself is not good, Mm. the things that they say. Uh, Of course, Ezra is going to say even worse things. Of course. 
But I think it's fair to say that I don't agree with how they approached this woman who made this Facebook post. At least not all of it. I want to take you back to the 1950s, or at least that's what I thought when I read this Brisbane mum's Facebook post. Brooke Smith shared her routine online. Here's what she said. I always make sure I don't go to bed until everyone's lunches are packed, their clothes are set out for the next day, including my husband's, and the house is clean, dishwasher is on, and a load of washing is on. I always get up early, 4.30, with my husband to make his breakfast and coffee. Um... Go, Brooke. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I mean, I tell you what, though, Chrissy. I mean, a lot of people um, online are, are saying, "Well done," are praising her. Who? Who are these people? <laughs> oh, has he hypnotised her or something? Who does this stuff? Making his breakfast and then putting his clothes out of a night—is he disabled or something? Like seriously, like get a grip, get off your bum and do stuff yourself. My only theory is that she might actually like her husband, and she might actually like to get up at four thirty and spend time. Yeah. No, I mean, I like my husband, but make your own bloody breakfast <laughs> and coffee. I mean, you know. But the amazing thing: apparently, this couple run an MMA fighting gym, oh, like mixed martial arts, mixed martial arts, and they also breed bulldogs, so they can do whatever they want. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? If it makes her happy, but, I mean, nothing in that list of things there, you know. And she's blown. got four children under the age of six. But did you see her photos too? She still had time to, like, make her hair yeah. look beautiful oh. and put her makeup she's on. Women she attacking looks women. gorgeous. Yeah. I think she's gorgeous. Yeah, you're making yeah. the rest of us look bad. Ezra fixates on the fact that this person is a private person and how dare they ridicule her in any fashion. That's his main takeaway of... of listening to that clip and that what the today show did is tantamount to doxing since they named her and how creepy it is since they went through her social media and the thing is we know this but Ezra has done this before on multiple occasions yeah, going absolutely. through someone's social media <laughs> like so there's two examples that I can remember off the top of my head one was with the CTV host after she came out and said something about uh, hockey players yeah and how hockey is misogynist and all that stuff. The, uh, and so she's a bit more of a public person. The other person was one of the vegan activists from the turkey farm. And in that case, it was particularly creepy because he was like, this is some like random woman who just happened to get arrested. And he was like saying, oh, look, she's an Instagram model and like staring at all her pictures and, and he, showing those pictures to his audience. a lot more than that as well. <laughs> Those are the two prominent ones. Yeah, that stuck or out of he's head. like he's in the past supported other people doxing individuals. Yeah. So remember they had that news reporter with the bush light guy to the point where. Oh he, yes, yes. And then the one reporter looked through his tweets or whatever and like, found out went, he said some found something stuff. in like yeah. twenty. And so then they looked through his well, account. Yeah, it just, yeah. yeah. And, and then he ended up getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he was yes. like good on them like he was very happy about that so yeah and then the kid no longer got his free lifetime supply of beer yeah <laughs> but also like again like there was the parts of that that obviously stand out to me speculating about whether or not the person was disabled or all that now i thought like the rest of it was like light-hearted i mean they go through a lot of emotions there of like partly being like like whatever if you're happy and that's your thing like go for it and I can respect that and I can also respect the other side of it or just being like 
almost like just laughing at it because like I would never accept like in their position them them thinking that I would never accept it if my husband had these kind of demands for me yeah. or something like that right and it's similar with me like I would never put those demands on my wife like that would just be ridiculous well oh, she wouldn't be my wife if I put those demands on her yeah, yeah yeah absolutely it's uh, also like your wife's not your fucking mom no exactly I mean like that's the the one thing's the laying out of the clothes yeah. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't just, like, open a drawer and, like, pick out what you're going to wear for the day? Like, that That just blows my mind. Not a fashion person, just, honey, pants, out. Let me go fight people in my MMA. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing, too. What is he dressing? Like, what does he have to dress up? I... Just a single Speedo as he goes in there to, like... <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing about MMA. It's not, they don't wear speedos. Why not? Because that's all they wear. <laughs> might make it a little more interesting, you know? Mix uh, it up a bit. It's okay. <laughs> all, Ezra also complains uh, that they talked about the women's kids, and they had a picture like shown up on the, the screen of her with her kids. He's mad about this and says that he would uh, never do this to someone else's kids and says that he doesn't even interview children. But Ezra has been harassing Greta Thunberg yeah. forever <laughs> and has tried to interview her. Like, that's the other thing. They've tried to interview her several times. So that's a lie, obviously. But then he does, in the same time he's complaining about this, he then starts going through some of the hosts of the Today Show's own social media and starts showing their pictures, including, again, pictures of them with their friggin' kids. And plus, like, shows them to his audience. And then he goes, oh, yeah, but they're, they're like, public people, so therefore it's okay when you do it to them. What? Well, I mean, because here's, like, the weird thing is this woman who made the Facebook post, this mother... She is someone who made a public Facebook post on a public group. Yeah. And it's weird because for some reason, I, I mean, like maybe in Ezra's head, he's just doing the, I want to grift and I'm going to make this story into something, whatever. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. Right. But part of me goes like, even if he like sincerely cared about this woman's like privacy, I don't think that it's hard to distinguish how... These people who host some sort of television show and make themselves public, we somehow have to treat them or we can treat them with less sort of like privacy than someone who's doing a similar thing, but through a new medium called social media and is presenting themselves to the public and making statements like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously, I don't think that Brooke's Facebook post has the same reach as Australia's Today Show. But they still are different ways of making public statements. And either way, it's like if, you, if you're going to draw some line about kids, what did the Today Show's hosts' kids have anything to do with this? But, of course, with Ezra, it's not just that he's going to find like weird, weaselly things to complain about. He's going to dive right into some gender essentialism. The point is she's, she's a private person who put her comments on a Facebook group for fellow mums who want to share tips mom to mom about how to deal with little issues around the house. I checked out the page. It's moms chatting together about household matters, sharing ideas and tips and being friends. It's normal humans being nice to each other. I think that's how moms 
give tips, guys. I mean, I remember I had to change this strange LED light in our house. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't go on a Facebook page, guys, helping guys. I, I searched for it on YouTube. I found a how-to video by some handy guy, watched it and did it. So that's how guys get household help. How do I fix this? Watch a YouTube video. You don't go to a support group. That's not a male way. The female way, think, is a Facebook group where there's some camaraderie. <laughs> like getting like support about like how to like work with your family to like fixing a light bulb <laughs> i'm just also confused about like how those are really different from each other he's going on a different a social like yeah. not the same social media platform but like a social media platform to get advice from other men on how to do a household thing so what's different from Mom. Well, I guess, like, the difference between YouTube is, like, you just have the video interacting with you. You're yeah, you not interacting. comment section, and they can comment back. Yeah, but I guess what he's saying is that, like, if you're a real man, you don't go into the comment section. If you're a real man, you're you should be able to fix that link yeah. and not have to look it up as <laughs> But it's, like, there's so much, so much that's wrong with that. I mean, like, the reason why you have support groups like that woman was involved in is because people want to know how other people are doing parenting and stuff yeah. like this. Like, I've been in groups like that. Like, there's nothing... It's not like... Uh, Jody, parenting's not a man's role. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's just... My children are mere objects. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch a YouTube video so I can learn how to change them like a light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> just the, the idea of, like, linking... Because... In my mind, it's something like changing a light bulb. Like, clearly, that is something you can go watch a YouTube video on and learn it. But learning how people do things, like, that's going to require you interacting with them and understanding, like, sure, yeah. the social world, which is a completely different guys, thing. Guys, like, I guess don't go on Reddit and get advice on Reddit or any of those. But there's also, like, a dangerous. Un yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also, like, a dangerous underpinning of what he's saying, though, which is, like, this, I, this notion that, like, men shouldn't seek help for things yep and that is not a healthy way the world should work like of course men should get therapy when they need it and of course men should seek support groups when they need it and this idea that you need to like bottle up your emotions and keep them all to yourselves is a toxic way that men have been taught to to live their lives yeah and that's exactly why men have higher suicide rates and actually have more issues with mental health than women do because women are socialized to talk about their feelings, let their feelings out. It's okay for them to cry, that it's not okay for guys to do it. And that's where we get into these ideas that patriarchy is not just only dangerous for women, it's actually dangerous for men as well. Because mm -hmm. within the patriarchy is these embedded ideas of what men and women ought to be like. And because of that, it has consequences on both sexes, especially men that fall under subordinate mascul masculinities. And the consequences are very hard for men. And it's definitely not talked about a lot. Even I took like a women's studies course and we were talking about um, toxic and hegemonic masculinity. And I was saying that I think, like I remember saying a comment that I think a lot of men's issues get neglected in the conversation about gender. And because of that, I think some guys use that as a way to like 
talk about how they're more oppressed than women rather than looking at it as like holistically like patriarchy affects both sexes both all genders all sexes as well not both sorry and that that's very it's just very problematic to like put guys in this box of like they don't have emotions they're not even a part of this conversation almost like girls also are like aliens like we're a different yeah. species in itself because he's even they're like, from mars women are from venus well just the way he went about it like i don't know i don't do that i think they go on facebook i think they go to mommy support group like I don't, I don't, even I don't know. know because I don't have them women thoughts. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> it's just like, okay. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to solidify that. I need a tool. I have yeah. to do something with a tool. Yeah. I, I think there's like some interesting interaction with how women's studies can be used in ways to also reach men who need it in a way mm-hmm. that I think is under... Or, or at least it's coming to be utilized more, I think, than it used to. And I think there's a good reason why there's pushback against that, which is this growing MRA-type movement that somehow thinks that feminism is toxic and bad and we should talk about, like, men, and then they'll raise things like, men are more likely to go to war and die and commit suicide, yeah. and therefore which men are, are really... Yeah. Which are well, true facts, yeah. And then, but then they also apply the wrong cause... To those things usually yeah. right which is where i think the the stuff that we already learn through women's studies and feminism can help to to actually indicate what the causes of these things but are. i think there's a lot of gaps in it like in the studies themselves mm-hmm. and like i think a good connection about how gender plays off of itself and like how it creates subordinating identities is is more needed as a as a discussion as a whole or it's just even like a lot of women's issues i think men get neglected and because men are neglected within that conversation they don't care or they're indifferent or then they feel like they don't really have a voice or say in these matters so i don't know like i feel i think there just needs to be a little more work done on those things or even like talking about things like empathy with men like that just never gets talked about and that's another reason why they're not very supporting of women and women's issues is because that's the trait of being empathetic is attached to being female and womanly and like men have to learn to be empathetic and they have to learn to like feel how their people are feeling and learn about like how to control their emotions and because the trick yeah. is like where to have that space because I I understand the position of some people where like say if I'm I'm that man in a women's studies sort of like context and then I start saying like what about the men in some sense and they'll be like you know men have talked about their issues for years and this is our first time and now you're trying to center it back on you again when it's like we just started talking about women's issues and so there's like that kind of conflict and so like finding a Finding that space where we can have that talk to actually address some of these issues without trying to, like, steal away. I think the framing is wrong, though. So it's not that men are talking about their specific issues. It's just that the issues that they face that are talked about are attached to essential feminine qualities or essentialist feminine qualities. Like being emotional, like being even like being homosexual, for example, right? Because liking men is very feminine, right? So then they get subordinated within the community of men. And then because of that, they never have an outlet 
to actually talk about their subordinate position. So it needs to be looked at as like that they also can have female like qualities and that we tend to devalue and subordinate female qualities. And that's what the actual issue is. Yeah. And I mean, I say this all with the direction. I mean, we're talking in kind of binaristic terms because of how this debate is sort of like set up. But like, I agree to a certain extent where it's like, like at the end of the day, like these qualities of being, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter that much. Like whether like they're, you're a typical man having these feminine, like feminine qualities. Like to me, it's like, let's just abolish all that bullshit. Like it shouldn't be like carved up that way to a certain extent. Right. And we should just be happy with who we are, no matter what the hell. Yeah, that of course. Is, right? But there's something to say is like those things that men are feeling and suffering from have to actually do with the devaluation of women in our society. Because if we don't right. devalue women, we wouldn't devalue these attitudes of being nurturing and empathetic and like sharing your emotions. And then guys would, wouldn't actually have that many issues. Right. So I don't think the framing or the context, like what we're originally saying, is that men are talking about their issues. They're actually talking about women's issues. It all gets grouped together. Yeah. I guess I just wanted to say that because I didn't want yeah. to, I didn't want to sound like we're neglecting nine non-binary people or stuff like this who don't perfectly fit into this. Binary but the thing model. is, but, but like I, you're right, how the, there's already a sort of like cultural mode of what the feminine is yeah. and how that thing gets applied. That's the thing is like your world isn't, unfortunately, right now, it's not made up of non-binary. Yeah. I guess scripts, right? And our discursive practices. It's it's been very gender binary. Yeah. And you just kind of have to understand that within that binary there's power that's being associated there. And so that's why I'm talking about it in more of a yeah, binary yeah, yeah. because our language is gendered, the way we do things <laughs> is gendered. Yeah. And those have real living consequences, even though they are socially constructed. Yeah, and I, I just think like if we can eventually move away from some of those things, it's oh, nice. that would but, be like, fantastic. How, yeah. But there's a lot of work to be yeah. done before that can happen. <laughs> so before we move on from this topic, I do want to play one more clip, and in this clip, again, there's the essentialism and all this, but some of it gets like really explicit in things that I think we've speculated Ezra thinks, but he just comes out and sort of says it. Maybe it's just my circle of friends, but I don't see guys tearing down other guys for doing little nice things for their wives. Usually that translates into guys earning money and spending it on their wives. I think that's sometimes how guys express themselves in a relationship as a breadwinner, as an earner. I think that goes back to the dawn of time. Leave the cave, go out into the dangerous world at 4.30 in the morning, hunt a beast, kill the beast, drag it back to the cave for your wife and kids to eat. And they've been at home gathering or making the cave nice. <laughs> making the cave nice. <laughs> I think that's how a lot of guys show love in 2020. It's go out there and make money and bring it back to the cave for your wife and kids. I, I think it's the same thing, the same instincts, the same way of expressing yourself. I truly think the, the tearing down um, is a w woman against woman thing. And I think that's what we've been watching here on this show, uh, that Today Show in Australia. And I think it's an anti-feminine thing. Brooke is much more feminine than jealous Alison Langford is. Brooke's husband, we, we heard briefly in this clip that he's into mixed martial arts, sounds like he's a bit more masculine than that tubby guy calling him lazy. This segment is a war against women being feminine and a war against men being masculine. <laughs> 
so many layers to this. It's a war against women being feminine and a war against men There's being masculine. There's just so much to unpack there. I don't <laughs> even know where to start. <laughs> I would start with hunter-gatherers. Is that an accurate depiction of the history of the Okay, we can, start, we can definitely start yeah. with that because there's so much, so many things I want to comment on. Um, no. <laughs> no, it's not. There's actually been historical studies that have contradicted that fact over and over and over again and have actually shown that yes they're hunter and gatherers but you did both fucking roles you didn't yeah. just <laughs> like the men also gathered they weren't like i'm a man so i can't gather in no fact, they were like clean the cave honey <laughs> <laughs> and the girls were talking about their nice like what like rock yeah. displays like i don't understand like i oh, i don't even know where to start <laughs> But now you understand why I talked about hunting mammoths at the beginning. <laughs> I knew it was going to lead into this argument. But that's not even what gets me about this. I think it's the rhetoric of women tearing down women that has a bit of truth to it, but is still so fucking problematic the way he goes about it. But even, like, we heard the clip. There was, like... Uh, I felt that they wanted to talk about how they disagree that there should be everyone's sort of standard... And that it felt like the 1950s. And yet at the end of the episode, like at the end of that clip, you heard them say sort of like, you know, if they're happy with it, it's Whatever. their thing. Yeah. Right? And so like there's an element in which, yes, they're kind of like mocking it or, or poking fun at it. Or at least saying like, I can't believe anyone would want to do this because of my own norms and stuff like this. Yeah. But I don't think they were that... Uh, that overly insulting to her. If anything, the guy in that clip was way more insulting to but, the guy. Okay, but right? listen to like the language he's using to talk about both women. She's more feminine. She right. fits the idea. This girl is not womanly at all. The one who's criticizing her on the Australia Today show. No, and, and I cut yeah. out clips. Like there's clips of him talking about the host on the Australian show as like she's clearly not happy in her relationship and like she's just jealous of Brooke because Brooke is like being able to like have the free time during the day and doesn't have to rush to do a job and, and you like, know like the media in general just fucking loves pitting women against each other and I cannot stand it I cannot stand it because it is actually true women tear each other down all the fucking time and that's because as uh, some sociologists would say the idea of emphasized femininity, where it's like you have to adhere to these feminine roles by being catty or like, you know, being attached to your hus husband's success and being competitive with your husband among the other wives. I don't know. Like it's these these really horrible tropes. And sometimes women do feed into them in real life. It's not just a trope. And it's horrible because women shouldn't be tearing each other down. We should be like, especially raising each other up. And you know what? I'm not perfect. I definitely do this as well. You be just super judgmental. You judge the way the woman looks or how she keeps her house or how she goes about marriage and relationships. And it's so hard not to do that sometimes because you're kind of socialized and taught to do that from a young age. But it's so wrong. And I hate when people try to like, like celebrities, you know, like going yeah, yeah. at it. And that's what he, that's what that reminds me of. This it's whole like, thing is a celebrity thing. Like part of me is like, why is he talking about this? Like out of all out of all the things happening in the world right now, like he's focusing on a ninety second clip from an Australian talk show. 
it was weird because I think we ha- we were having a chat like two or three weeks ago about how we hadn't had like a lot of just purely misogynistic stories. And then all of a sudden there was like a few in a row where it's just like women and men, essential things that we they're more essentialist. They're not. Yeah, they're not too, too bad. They could be a lot worse. He could start talking about abortion or rape cases. He hasn't touched yeah. into those topics yet. He's just talked about these like really essential. And you know what? As gender essentialism, this idea that like women and men just have innate qualities is a prevalent ideology yep. even through like social democratic countries such as like Sweden, Switzerland that have extremely low gender wage gaps, extremely low occupational sex segregation. So it's just this prevalent thing throughout our society that people just cannot get their head around being a social construct. Yeah, I think it was, oh, I can't remember his name. Paul Bloom? Paul Bloom? He's a uh, social psychologist. Okay. And he has a book where he talks about how human beings are naturally essentialist. Like, naturally, oh, okay. Yeah. Naturally, in, in a kind of innate sense. Like, he's actually making an innate argument. But his idea is that, like, human beings, in order to interact with the world, creating essential categories is helpful. And so, but then it has these things sure. that backfire I mean, and stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's issues with that argument. Well, I don't too. think that it's it's a perfect argument, but a lot it, of it, it is com- interesting to Yeah, because a lot of it comes from the 18th century where you have the rise of like science and they started categorizing a lot of things to like... No, so his work has to do with uh, as being a child psychologist and seeing how you expose oh, okay. children to certain stimuli and see how they interact with the world. And so his argument is from that data that... Uh, human beings are natural essentializers because i'd say from like historical accounts like the idea of like homosexuality for example and like group being sexualities wasn't really existing to the 18th century when they want to like categorize everything right that's when you introduce like a lot of things like the yeah i mean those those are certain like how more like social categories get reified reified just is the fancy term of like being made into things and so like yeah there's ways in which certain things we take for granted today that weren't necessarily considered things in the past or were considered different other things that we've now stuck together or whatever it is, yeah. right? But I think his idea is just that the idea of like, like what are, if I could think of one of the studies was something like you you tell the child something like this is the fro- a frog and then you say you take whatever like the frogness is from the frog and stick it in the zebra and then ask them whether or not the zebra is the frog or not or whatever. Yeah. And people, the kids tend to think that now the zebra is the frog, even though it looks different because you've somehow taken whatever the invisible essence is and like stuffed it in. And there's like other sort of like experiments like that where you try to like prod children's knowledge and they just keep going to this idea that like things have these inherent essences to them. Which is an interesting fact about uh, child psychology. If that stuff is all held up, it's been a while since I read that yeah. research. So, and things change in social psychology, so and developmental psychology. Anyway, so for Ezra is now going to move into the interview segment of this part of the show, and he has a guest on to talk about the blockades to Canada's rail system by those standing in solidarity with the wet sweat people. The guest is a person named Robbie Picard, who runs a Facebook group called Oil Sands Strong. He used to be involved with the I Love Oil and Gas campaign. You might have seen people with the shirts and sweaters from Alberta with I Love Oil and Gas on them. Mm -hmm. 
And this is an astroturf campaign with close ties to both the conservative government and also oil and gas companies. However, Robbie was kicked out of that group because he posted a meme of two women kissing, saying, why would you want to buy your oil from a country that doesn't think lesbians are hot? And in this context, he was referring to Saudi Arabia. Robbie uh, is himself a gay man, and I'm not so sure why this got him kicked out of the Isle of Oil and Gas group, because they tend to appreciate kind of like Islamophobic adjacent stuff. So especially in that whole ethical oil movement and community. So I'm not sure why that got him kicked out unless it was like, it's also combined with homophobic people who don't like the idea of women kissing, but then Robbie himself is gay. So like, I have no clue why that got him kicked out. of (laughs) But there you go. I don't know that Robbie is still receiving oil and gas money for his current uh, oil sands was it Oil Sands Strong group? But uh, he still works closely with Jason Kenney and is involved with hmm. some of this stuff like the war room that's going on, which is trying to target environmental activists. So that's that's the backstory about Robbie here. But when Ezra introduces Robbie, he also makes sure to point out that Robbie is an indigenous individual. And this is another example of the right using identity politics when they spend all their time complaining about identity politics. Right? Yeah. The whole interview surrounds two main points, that the activists are not really indigenous, we've heard this before, and that they are breaking the law. So they're breaking the law, they're the bad guys, and they're also not indigenous, so we shouldn't listen to them, is the argument. He even claims that all these activists are all being paid. All of them. Every last one. I wish I was getting paid. (laughs) Me too! I don't mind. Yeah. I've been to way too many protests. For free. for free. I'm still trying to find where these paid protests yeah. are. And again, no evidence is offered for any of this. Of course. Not a single shred of evidence for any of it. We sort of covered the fake uh, indigenous people. I still want to get an interview with someone uh, to address some of the claims involved here and also talk about the internal disagreements within uh, the indigenous community. But uh, it's not worth going into now because that's not what's happening right now. That's it. So we're going to move on to February 14th, and Ezra decides to cover a Wall Street Journal article on about... V-Day. Come on. Hmm? On V-Day? Oh, yeah, it is Valentine's Day. Well, you know, the Wall Street Journal sparks romantic vibes mm, in people. Yeah, yeah. But in this case, it's not a love affair. It's an anti-love affair with China. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to talk. So the Wall Street Journal covered this uh, story about Huawei. Apparently, the intelligence community sort of leaked this information or like somehow gave this information to the Wall Street Journal, showing that Huawei has these backdoors in their technology that will allow them to spy and access certain kinds of data on their networks. And Ezra runs with this, making the claim that these backdoors exist. But the article he's referencing is only making the claim that it's possible that they exist with no evidence at all whether or not Huawei is actually doing it. And it's worse than that since a lot of cyber experts responded to this article by saying that we don't even know what the source in the Wall Street Journal article is. Like we don't know, not only do we not know who the source was, but we also don't know what they're referring to in the Huawei technology to at least analyze whether it's a backdoor or not. So there's not much that anyone could do with this information. 
The only argument seems to be that China is authoritarian or communist. Therefore, of course, they will create backdoors in their technology and exploit them, which should be obvious to everyone that that's not a good argument. And especially not a good argument because America has used international uh, companies, telecommunication companies, and used their backdoors to gain access to data. So it's clearly not just a authoritarian communist vibe, but even the good old Republic of the US of A has also done the same thing. Which is the thing, this is being used as evidence of communism being bad, ignoring the fact that China is not quite communist, or at least not agreed to be. To put a Canadian spin on this, Ezra then claims that Huawei is working with TELUS. Okay. And Ezra claims TELUS is in fact a pro-liberal government company. Ah, there it is. is. Anti-oil sands. And I didn't even know how to look into this. <laughs> I was just like, how are they pro-liberal? Maybe because they like cut some deal with the government. I have no clue. And so TELUS is now working with Huawei in order to spy on the Canadian people. Because in fact... I'm so true- confused to how TELUS even came into this. Like, why TELUS? So here, so here it comes. So TELUS has supported the liberal government. They're now working with Huawei, and that's convenient because Trudeau was secretly working for the authoritarian Chinese because he once admired their basic dictatorship, and then he plays that clip that we played two weeks ago. I knew that was going to come around. (laughs) And that's it. That's just like, he nailed it. Solid argument. Why? But why tell us? Because they're apparently working with Huawei on something. That's it. So TELUS is working with Huawei, and that's evidence of the liberals trying to spy on everyone through Chinese telecommunication companies. Yeah, there's a lot of dots that aren't really connecting, but Ezra thinks they're connecting, and that's all you need to know. You know that meme where the guy kind of like looks, and then there's a bunch so, of yeah. question marks in the room? That's all I feel right now. Yeah, that's... This whole... Like, Can that be the cover for the episode? Just, just that just, meme? Yeah, that meme. Yeah. The... Yeah. The thing is, like, that's that's his sort of, like, connecting the dots with China is always just, like, there's these, like, relationships with people and then therefore, because China is communist, it's all, like, nefarious. It's like watching one of those YouTube videos on uh, numerology <laughs> and they're like, did you see the dollar bill? The dollar bill has these numbers inscribed on and the back. And if you add them all together, they equal blah, 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 blah. And, and you've got to divide them. <laughs> and if you divide them by 666, you get 66666.2. But then... That's like to... the devil 2.0. But... Yeah, yeah like they just... And it's the Illuminati. It's the Illuminati. Like, it just keeps adding on. And you're like, wow, that was a lot of steps to get to 666. So Ezra's still not going to drop this topic because he has on for the interview interview portion, Gordon Chang again. And I'm going to bring this back up every time. But Gordon Chang wrote the book called The Coming Collapse of China back in 2001, which was almost 20 years ago. And China is still going strong. So, But the collapse is still coming. Don't you worry. And Gordon Chang is going to be on that beat <laughs> waiting for the collapse. But they bring up some new evidence in the interview for this whole backdoor technology conspiracy theory, which is that there was an incident in 2012 where Vodafone, which is 
I think a company in Italy, or at least this is Vodafone in Italy, yeah. where they found backdoors in Huawei technology. So backdoors were found, and this was in 2012. Now, there is no evidence that these backdoors were used, and they have since been fixed according to both companies. Yet Ezra then plays a clip of Huawei release, I guess recently they released a PR video. And in the PR video, it states that if they are ever caught using backdoor uh backdoors, then companies would no longer want to do business with them. So it's just, mm -hmm. it's not a good business decision to use backdoors. Now, I don't know whether or not that economic reasoning is true or not. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But Ezra thinks that what happened in Italy in 2012 is that, is that Huawei is, in fact, using backdoors. Yet when I looked it up online, I could find no evidence that this is the case. All I could find was that Backdoors were found. And maybe it, like if this will be a good point to talk about what backdoors are. And as someone who's not like an engineer or not like completely tech savvy, like I don't even know exactly what they are. But what I what I think they mean is just like ways for the company itself to have access into your device for some reason. And not all the reasons are nefarious. Like you could have a reason for wanting to access things, but you want to maybe limit what you have access to so that you can fix phones or update things or whatever, right? So backdoors aren't necessarily bad, but it's the fact that them being there could be exploited by a company that wants to do something bad to say, get your data and then sell it to like Facebook or like do either give it to the government that could then use it for spying reasons or something like that. So backdoors are these things that could exist, but they're not necessarily exploited and they could be exploited but for maybe different reasons and is a whole complicated thing. So the mere fact of backdoors existing isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it could be. And that's all this is. <laughs> and then, so then you have like the U S government's intelligence service, basically fear mongering over this where techs that tech experts are kind of like, well, show us the evidence that they're using this in like bad ways. Mm. Cause until then, like, what is, what are you doing? You're just fear mongering. Yeah. I agree with that. But this is what he wants to run with for this whole episode. That's it. So then we end. And Gordon Chang's in on it, of course. Gordon Chang's uh, Ezra's best friend and expert for all things China, apparently, because every time they talk about China, he's back on the show again. And then they end the episode because they have to by talking about the coronavirus. And Gordon Chang and Ezra <laughs> both speculate that the coronavirus is being created in a lab. So it's good to know that Ezra isn't the only conspiracy theorist that he brings on the show. So I will just reiterate, coronavirus, in fact, was not created in a lab. And I would think the last time we talked about this on the coronavirus show, I mentioned that this was being promoted on bullshit sites like Zero Hedge. And Zero Hedge recently got like banned off Twitter and stuff hmm. like this for spreading these, these false views. So. so I called it right, I guess. Unless I, too, am working for the deep state. Oh, my God. I created Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so that's it. Before we move into the good news segment, we went to a thing on the weekend. On Saturday. Yes, we went to Niagara Falls, Ontario, what? casino capital. I don't know what is. 
home to one of the most beautiful waterfalls in the world, Jody. Come is on. Is it beautiful? It's considered, I think. Well, it's the, the largest. Most, it's the largest and most. Like in volume, I think, of yeah. the water that goes. Yeah. Either way, we weren't there for the waterfall. We were there because the conservatives were holding their national convention. Not national. No, no, no. Provincial. No, provincial. It was Ontario right. uh, PC policy convention at the Scotiabank Center. Yes. In Niagara Falls. And I think there was like well over a thousand people there. Yeah, it was somewhere between 1,000 and 5,000 people. It wouldn't oh, have been okay. more than that. Oh, okay. I thought it was less than 5,000. Well, 5,000 sure. would have been the higher number. Of, I, I, no, I would, I predicted it was like a thousand. So like, that's. that's yeah. <laughs> well, they wanted 20,000 to come, but it, it was kind of like in a weird spot. And, uh. If you got to think of like all the people in Ontario that could go to things, but there was also certain rallies hold, being held elsewhere. Like there was a rally for Wet Sweatin happening on the same mm-hmm. day in Toronto, uh, that looked like fun. There was like videos of them all like doing a huge circle dance. Yeah. So I mean, most of it was just union. A lot of it was union members, but not to say all of it. But there's a lot of like. It was hosted unions. by the OFL, so yeah. there's a good reason for that, and they provided a lot of buses to get people out there. And unions also provided buses for their members. I've seen. Yeah, and so like we went, and I guess we could talk about uh, what we thought about it because I think both of us came away going, uh, we're a little frustrated with the fact of like, why did we just go to like stand there and I mean, have a rally? I'll be very frank. <laughs> I've been dealing with a lot of health issues. One of them is my ears, which are actually bothering me a lot right now. And I didn't really want to drive two hours to Niagara Falls to protest for three hours in the cold to drive back two hours when my ears feel like, I don't know, like there's a fucking hammer being jammed <laughs> into them. Um, so, but I did it because I care about these issues and yeah. feel compelled and I would probably feel like shit if I didn't go. So we drove all the way there and it's cool. You've got like a little stand a stage and you got speakers and you got people mingling it was nice because i got to see people i haven't seen in a long time um and it was really cool seeing people coming out from like ottawa kingston which is like a much larger drive than what i did that's awesome but it was kind of like what are we doing here we're just gonna like stand here with a bunch of flags and posters and do some chants and like listen to people talk and yell meanwhile all these conservatives are in this big glass building like at least they had like barricades around the the building and i don't know why we wouldn't have like situated ourselves in front of this big glass building to kind of at least put pressure on the conservatives like or even like surround the thing to block the entrance and disrupt it so that like would make it harder for people to get into the building or there was even like conservatives walking throughout the crowd (laughs) That was my favorite, but there was like, and like you no can one... clearly tell because they stood out because they're wearing suits and like high heels, like walking through a crowd. Other than like... that, they had like the little lanyard yeah, yeah. saying that they're at that convention. So it's kind of like, what are we doing here? What's the point? And their security was like four security guards and two cops. Like what? What was? Well, yeah, happen? we could take them, and like no one, no one would have been arrested. Like they had no power to arrest. The whole lot of them. And another uh, activist, I think, was nailed it right on the head when he said the OFL leaders should be the ones that are at the front and then the ones that are going to be arrested. And then yeah. we should be following behind because they have the legal supports already in play 
but instead they want to play it safe by getting a permit, which is also like, why did you get a permit? Yeah. Because that shows that you're complicit to that city. It says, oh yeah, they're willing to comply. Well, like it means it means that you're then liable for any damages and that, stuff that happen. That as well. And also at that point too, like you should just be saying, fuck it. Like, let's just, let's go. Let's occupy this building. Let's, you know. Which is, I think, I guess what I want to get across is that people should be pressuring pressuring their union leadership and stuff like this because part of it is and we've seen this in many ways in other unions but as well some of it in our own which is this idea of like concern about being fined for breaking the law and stuff like that and part of it is like a lot of these laws were put in place to silence unions and they're working and you have people like, I remember when the CUPW got legislated back to work. Mm-hmm. So that's the Postal Workers Union. They got legislated back to work. And they could have, if they wanted to, continue with an illegal strike. And it would have maintained, it still would have shut down postal stuff because still they're not, scabs aren't going to get through the lines and so on, right? But it gets you in a more precarious position. But also the union would have been fined if they disobeyed the, the court order. To, yeah. to go back to work. And so the union gets really spooked by that because they don't have a ton of money. And like, it could mean the complete dissolving of the union. But at the same time, it's like now they're still without a contract. It's been over a year since they've been forced back to work. So it's like these fears of like financial loss still puts them in a really shitty position where they're not doing anything. Exactly. And still not getting anything. And we need to be able to apply a lot more pressure. Another thing, though, I have to say, and I've made this comment to you, is it needs to come from people. I don't think having an organization with leaders in those organization and specific roles that kind of bureaucratize the whole point of being in a union is going to it's not going to cut it. I understand it's like you want those people who, you know, have more safety nets in place to be the one to like go up and approach these people and you elected them for that as well. But it's also like when you get into an organization and you've secured a position, that becomes a you become part of risk averse. Yeah. yeah. It also becomes a part of your livelihood and your you actually have a lot of risk and you know, making a wrong move. For example, you might not get elected and that could actually be your your career that you are working off of. And if you don't get reelected for your position, that's not very good, right? But I mean, they're not really listening to what the people want either. Well, there is this tendency towards careerism in a lot of elected positions. And you got the same problem in political parties that we support and stuff like this. Yeah. And, and like the thing that frustrates me there is like you... What I would like out of a leader is someone to mobilize people to their side of the argument in a sense. But instead, what you get is often, well, my members don't want me to do this, so I'm going to play it safe. I, yeah. And you get that a ton where it's like, I agree with you that like we shouldn't rely on the leaders to be the ones to do things. But the leaders are in a position where they have resources and power and they should be mobilizing and and building those networks and moving people to that side of the the equation so that you can have this like movement there, which is kind of like what you're seeing with the Bernie movement of that sort of like more of a facilitating role with, with their local organizations, as opposed to the kind of like, uh, I guess appeasement from the top or like not wanting to to rock boats and stuff that you see in a lot of like movements. Well, what I'm seeing, and this is going to get sociological, 
Go for it's, it. <laughs> it's like this Bayerian perspective on the organization where it's like you have a set of rules, you have a set of roles, you have a set of processes that are so bureaucratic and so rational that you don't, it doesn't matter who you have in that role. And that becomes a part of the union because the union is a bureaucratic system. It's, it's become that. It used to be a grassroots movement. It used to be this charismatic movement where, you know, people were doing wildcat strikes and getting out there. It's just not that anymore. And that's why I'm saying you need the grassroots movement. And come on, like as a sociologist reading all these like classical sociological works that look <laughs> at social movements, that look at the success of social movements, it wasn't coming from these organizations. No. It was always coming from the people. It was the people who were fed up and wanting to take risks, people that were willing to put tons of risk because they had nothing else, right? Because the risk was worth it for them out there on the line to get these things. The minute those um, charismatic and spontaneous grassroots movements get into an organization that's that's when change doesn't happen that's when change actually starts to slow down it becomes too bureaucratic it becomes too rational and in a way it becomes corporatized yeah i agree with that i guess that like it, it gets frustrating because there's, there's this tension with how things were in the past with how things are today i think the risks of engaging in direct action through a grassroots movement is much more serious today than it was in the past to a certain extent because there wasn't things like huge like i mean there was like more immediate risks where i think especially if you go back to the 1800s like the people in the front lines are getting shot and killed and all that fun stuff sure. right but like there's a lot of like financial barriers or like worries about going to jail and like a lot of the people at the bottom who would be wanting to fight these fights can't afford going to jail for something like that. They got families to feed and like other things. And but so, there's a lot of movements even throughout history that that's the same argument you could have made, but it was like people were just so fed up. And I just think that's what needs to happen because I see all the time people are like, I'm going to make a group. And then the group, I'm going to have roles. And then that the group's going <laughs> to, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work out. It's not going to play because what ends up happening is this role, this position, you, you just put someone else in it and it keeps functioning. The machine kind of just oils itself. And that's what happens with unions. Like the OFL, people were excited for Peggy Coates because I think she got like arrested just before she got elected for uh, standing outside Doug Ford's um, office. And they were trying to occupy it, I think. And she, she ended up getting arrested for that. And I think that helped her get a boost to get elected as the OFL president. But she's doing just as much as Chris Buckley's doing. Yeah. She's doing the exact same thing. You get into the role, you get the training, you learn your role, you do the talking points, just like every other union. Like, it, it's all the same. And in a part of it, it really bothers me because it becomes about status, prestige, Yeah. the... the almost fame that you kind of get attached like how many people talk about fred hahn yeah right Did, is fred hahn lead it fred hahn was there is he leading us into the fucking building no but people are gonna rant on about him like he's a fucking celebrity and i think that's so ridiculous i think even our own union it gets so ridiculous like you hear someone find gets a presidency role it becomes so contentious i'm like who the fuck cares you just have to do tons of work for yeah. people <laughs> It's actually such a desk job. Like, like I know I yeah. was the local president, right? Like, I and I kind of had a picture that I was gonna have to be like more radical, and maybe that's why I was a little more aggressive than I think past presidents have been. But um, it's really not like that. It's super bureaucratic, 
bureaucratic and it's super rationalized. I guess like to, to end this is like, I think we're hitting on a lot of issues with these structures and stuff. But like part of me is like, but there's like the structures are there and have like purposes to serve. Like the fact that they do have a lot of resources and there's resources resources there to use that you might not have if you didn't have them there and i think that people can exist in those positions without like succumbing to the kind of pressures that that you're talking about here it's just the fact that i those people haven't come around like lately in this current iteration of things we're like we need that and maybe part of it is is having having grassroots movements take over these structures in many ways and keep trying is like sort of like my position with it but of course, at the same time, we need shit happening now that isn't happening and we could use their resources rather than, and, and part of it is like, because some of the resources being used in stupid ways, like flyer campaigns or holding that rally, like there were so many little things that they could have decided to do that wouldn't have been breaking the loss. Like if they just trained some people before the rally happened to be like, what we're going to do is surround the convention and just prevent, do as much as we can to prevent people from going in. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it didn't happen. But that's, yeah. that's the way it is. So I guess we'll go to the good news segment. You have some good news to report, which probably people already know, but it's worth celebrating it nonetheless. <laughs> Since we just talked about some depressing stuff. Yeah, of course. So uh, today, Harvey Weinstein? Weinstein, not yes. Stein, right? Stein? I think Stein? it's a Stein. Yeah, Weinstein. Not, I want to say Stein, but I don't think He it's... doesn't deserve us pronouncing his I name. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> what? guilty of two accounts of sexual assault and is facing up to i think 25 years in prison good yeah i mean here's the thing is of course abolish prisons all that stuff but i mean if we're at the moment giving uh children uh with pot possession life sentences this asshole can go to jail for a bit i think mandatory castration would have been a good punishment too on top of it (laughs) What it would did you were you the one who recommended? Oh no, it was when we were driving to Niagara. You said like we need everyone in society gets to come up and cut his balls. Yes, and just like <laughs> no, I said a, public, like, uh, a public castration. Yeah. You, you took it further by saying yes, everyone will get a turn. Everyone gets a turn at the knife. Yeah, and he I, dies of infection long before everyone. I was a, <laughs> I was just thinking of like how you have like a public execution where you get to see behind the the. No, mine's way more participatory. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's a little more sick than mine is, but like... Sick! It's a little sick. <laughs> no, it's the... What is it? Like those... Uh, what are the movies where the, the, the hunt... No, it's like... You, oh shit, what the hell are those movies where you get locked in your house and everyone's killing each other outside? What, like The Purge? The Purge! It's like that you need the release. So like Weinstein has done society a deep wrong. And this well, maybe is a just way... the woman that he... <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. We, we, I think we should limit it. Not anyway. Well, That's I just... mean like he's... There's going to be some weirdo there that really gets just enjoyment of slicing up his balls. <laughs> so... Fair enough. I was thinking like there's a weird way in which his case sort of like solidified a movie, a movement though. Uh in ways that it has become a I large mean, culture. What was upsetting though is he didn't get charged for predatory sexual assault. So the ones he actually got charged on weren't really, it was more like sagittary rape. 
Yeah. And you know how it becomes this thing where it's like, it's like not really rape, right? Yeah, yeah. But the predatory sexual assault, if he got charged for that and not acquitted on that, he would have faced life in prison. And to me, that's where I think that was the big, the like, the actual issue was that he was a predatory um, yeah. assaulter. It, I don't think it was just because he had sex with young girls. It was because he pried on these women and coerced them and coaxed them into having sex. And in some cases put used force on these women yeah. to have sex with him. And I think that's what kind of irked me a little about the case is that like when he could have been facing life in prison, I mean, I think he's going to end up dying in prison anyways, but like, I don't know. Like, I think that would have set a stronger message that that kind of behavior will face life in prison. And in that case, I think he, he got off very easy. Yeah. There was a, uh a great podcast series uh, by Ronan Farrow with the the title Catch and Kill, which was the book that he wrote about him trying to publish the the Weinstein story that eventually got in the New York, uh, the New Yorker magazine. And they have, it's, I recommend people listening to the podcast just because it's one thing reading about the women's stories in the New Yorker, and another, like, hearing the audio of these women telling their stories. And it's, like, it's devastating. But at the same time, it feels, like, culturally necessary for people to get that, like, there's these systems of power that put women in positions that they feel like they can't escape. And makes them... It, it's it's not good to have these, like, systems in place where these women get hurt. And we need to learn and expose that in deal with it as a society so i agree and so uh fuck weinstein fuck him yep i just want to cut in here and mention that there's a ton of solidarity events surrounding wetsuwet'en and in our next episode we are going to reference that this friday there will be an event in london from two to six i haven't gotten around to editing it because this week has been really busy and so i'm a bit delayed on uh the schedule it's my wife's birthday today so i had other things that i had to prepare for but yes if you are in london from two to six tomorrow in victoria park it's a friday come out and support the wetsuwet'en and uh yeah That'll be great. And I guess this is, you're going to hear my daughter in the background. You're just going to have to deal with it. What is this? Are you guys kidding me? If you enjoyed what you have heard so far, please give us, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have an Instagram account, News Imperial. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And if you are the person in charge of activist payroll... I have not been receiving my checks, so please get on that before I call activist HR. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?